Genesis 22, 1 through 19. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said on this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived in Beersheba. Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to CCC. So glad you're, you're here, so glad you're back. Those of you who are returning, welcome those of you over in East, uh, our East service and those of you tuning in. All right, before I get started, I want to tell you, do not miss next week, if you can avoid it. Next week, we're going to have our first outdoor service of the summer. It's one service at 1030. It will be a blast. It will be a great service. And then after the service, we're going to have this Big celebration, a cookout and games and everything, not just for Father's Day, but for our 40th anniversary as a church. 
And it's really important for you to be there, no matter how long you've been coming to the church, for a couple of reasons. One is, uh, we are excited about what God is going to do in the future. Uh, we have talked about it a lot, what we feel like God is calling us to, to do with him and for him in the next 30 years. We're calling that the reimagined vision. But the reason we can be so excited about the future is because we have seen what God has done in the past. And that is a pattern that you find in the Bible, where all the time God is saying, you can trust me in the future because you can look back in the past and see how I've worked. So when you come, we're going to be celebrating all that God has done. And this is one of the ways we're going to do it. Right? When you get to the service next week, there's going to be a big table with stickers on it. And there's, uh, there are five different colored stickers for each of the decades. This is my idea, so you're going to love it. All right. And uh, for uh, if you started coming in the 80s, uh, the church was started in 1981. If you came, started coming between 81 and 89, you get a particular color sticker. Uh, in the 90s, 90 to 99, then 2000, 2009, then 2010, 2019, and then 2020, 21. Everybody will get a sticker, right? But if you started coming in the 80s, you will have all five stickers, and you'll wear them. You'll look like a general, right? <laughs> and I wanted it to be like that because I wanted to be able to see these people from a distance and realize those are the people that pioneered this church. And I want, I'm going to go over uh, next week what each decade contributed to what we are today. And I want to spend uh, at least some time during the cookout you going around finding different people you know or even that you don't know and saying, listen, I want to thank you for what you have done in the past, and I want you to know we still need you now. All right? It will be a blast. Don't miss it. Okay? All right. Oh, and something else. Uh, this past week, uh, I went down and visited our Restore Addiction uh, Center. That started as a, as a dream five years ago as a response of our church to the opiate epidemic. And it is uh, now built. It is amazing. Uh, and I just wanted to tell you that uh, that is possible. Uh, we were able to be such a large player in getting that done because of your generosity and your giving. And I got to meet some men whose lives are being changed and who have hope for the very first time. Uh, and that's because of you. So listen, I want you to know, every time uh, behind each of your gifts uh, to this church, there is probably a changed life. Uh, remember that as you give, right? So thanks. All right. Uh, we are in our third week of our 10-week series that we are calling One Story, One Hero. We're looking at 10 Old Testament stories to look at how they fit into the overarching story of the Bible. And how each one of these stories points toward Jesus. One story, one hero. And this, this story that we just had read to you is the story of Abraham and Isaac. It is the climax of Abraham's life. It is a riveting story. It's a disturbing story. It can be a confusing story. So hopefully by the end of our time, you will not be confused about this story. Here are my three points if you are a note taker, if you just want to know where I'm going. I want to start by talking about the call of God, the call of God. Then I want to talk about the problem of the ask, the problem of the ask, and finally, the proof of love, the proof of love. 
All right. First, the call of God. The story we had read was from Genesis chapter 22, but Abraham's story really begins in Genesis chapter 12. And this is the way it starts. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. The story of Abraham begins with a call from God, both a call and a promise. And if I was Abraham, I would have been super excited about the promise. It's a great promise. You're going to, make, you're going to be a great nation. In you, all the families of the world will be blessed. Super excited about the promise, not as excited about the call. The call is verse 1, where he says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. There's a surprisingly little amount of information there. Right? If you were Abraham, wouldn't you have some questions? If I go home today after the services and I tell my wife, Karen, hey, pack up, we're leaving. All right, pack it all up. We're leaving our kids, our grandkids, everything that's familiar. It's going to be awesome. Come on, right? My dear wife will have some questions, right? Why does God do it like this? He does it again in Genesis chapter 22. He says, Abram, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Go to the land I will show you and sacrifice him there. You want to go, what? Why aren't there people going, whoa, I I have some questions. I have some conditions. I've been watching a series called The Chosen. I don't know if you've heard about it. Uh, It's about Jesus' life. Uh, I usually don't get into those kind of shows, but this is the best thing I've ever seen. So it's called The Chosen. I recommend it. It's amazing. But in one of the episodes, the episode that, uh, where Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector, uh, Jesus is walking by. Matthew is in his tax booth. There are bars there. Uh, there's a line of people paying their taxes, and there's a Roman guard who uh, helps protect Matthew. And Jesus walks, starts to walk by, turns, looks at Matthew, and says just this. Matthew, son of Alphaeus, follow me. That's it. Matthew looks at Jesus and says, you want me to follow you? And Jesus just goes, he nods. Matthew walks out of the tax booth, locks the door, hands the key to the Roman, and heads off with Jesus. You want to go, no questions, no conditions. He just goes because he heard the call of Jesus. All right, listen, what I'm going to tell you now is really, really important. It's important for every person here. Because what I'm going to tell you is the secret of how to become a Christian if you are not a Christian. But it's also the secret of how you grow as a Christian if you are a Christian. All right, first... If you are not yet a Christian, this is how you become a Christian. If you have not heard and said yes to the call of God, you are not yet a Christian. I talk to a lot of people about Jesus, and uh, there'll be people every once in a while who'll say, oh, wait, if I become a Christian, do I have to quit doing this? 
If I become a Christian, do I have to start doing that? And they're wondering and they're asking questions. They're trying to see if they can, what they can hang on to, what they can't hang on to. But when you read about the call of God, it's never like that. It is an unconditional thing. And this is what. Remember uh, in the first sermon of this series, uh, Pastor Zach uh, was talking about Genesis chapter 3 and what went wrong with our world. And the thing that went wrong with our world is that Adam and Eve believed a lie, and it's a lie that we still believe. And the lie that they believed was that God doesn't really love you. God doesn't want what's best for you. And because of that, you are kind of on your own to kind of figure out what is best for you. All right, this is uh, my bicycle wheel. It is one of my favorite illustrations. If you uh, have been here for a while, you have seen it. Uh, this is the way I believe that every human heart works. It works like this bicycle wheel, where the spokes represent all the different aspects of your life. But in every human heart, there is right in the center a hub, what would be called the summa bonum, the highest good, the, the most important thing. And that most important thing organizes everything else. Whatever is in the hub of your heart, right in the center, gives you your identity. It gives you your identity. I, so you see, what we do since... Genesis chapter 3, every human being was created to have God right here, and your identity was supposed to come from God. Your value is supposed to come from God. But because we have switched out God, we have tried to put something else there. So we get our identity from what we do, or from who we love, or from our children, our family, our sexuality. There are all kinds of things we put here to say, this is who I really am. And to hear the call of God is to hear God say, listen, I have come to be your hub. When Jesus goes to Matthew and he says, Matthew, follow me. The reason that Matthew asks him no questions, if Matthew had said, can I still be a tax collector and follow you? What he'd be saying to Jesus is, can I follow you and make you a spoke? Listen, in Mark chapter 10, there's another man who comes up to Jesus. He's just called the rich young ruler, very wealthy, right? He wants to follow Jesus. Jesus says, okay, listen, before you follow me, go give all your money away, then come, follow me. And this guy goes, I can't, and I won't. You know why? He was saying, this is my identity. I cannot follow you. Listen, if Jesus is not your hub, then you don't have Jesus, and Jesus doesn't have you. Jesus doesn't come into anyone's life as a spoke. That's why the call of God is always so complete. It requires complete surrender. But it's also, I told you, it's also the key to how you grow as a Christian. If you are a Christian, God is constantly calling you out of the familiar, out of your comfort zone, and that's what obedience is. Listen, every time, you know, I have learned a lot about change management because of some of the mistakes I've made in trying to lead this church, particularly in the last few years. But when I was studying for this passage, it struck me, the one that, that's not very concerned about change management is Jesus. Jesus doesn't try to like coax me into change. Jesus commands me. Jesus says, listen, Joe, I want you to pray for your enemies. And when he says that, he expects me to drop to my knees and pray for my enemies right then. Jesus says, I want you to give. He expects me to take out my checkbook and write a check right then. Jesus calls you to obey him. Listen, if you are a Christian, 
every time God is calling you to obey him, he is giving you a call to say, make me the hub. Make me the very center of your life. Every time he calls you to do something that you don't necessarily want to do. If you are growing as a Christian, you're not growing just because you're getting more information from Bible studies. You're growing because you're consistently hearing the call of God for Jesus to be in the midst of your life, right in the middle of your heart. And that will change everything about you. But, there, but Abraham hears not just a call from God, he also has a promise from God. And that brings me to the second point, which is the problem of the ask. All right, when you hear this story, when you read this story, a lot of people think, oh, yeah, it's easy to see the problem of the ask. God says, Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love, and go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. The problem of the ass seems like it's because it's psychotic, or, it's, or it sounds like that. It's, it's something you'd read on a police blotter, that somebody murdered their child because they heard a voice and they thought it was God telling them to kill their son. But that's not what's happening here. God never asked Abraham to kill Isaac. He asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And you think, hmm, what's the difference? Abraham understood the difference. Listen, throughout the Bible, there is a consistent theme. And the theme is this, that human beings have, something has gone terribly wrong with human beings. And, uh, you know, it's not hard to see. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. I mean, all you have to do is get on social media or read any news story, you realize that human beings do horrible things to other human beings and to our world. But what the Bible says is because God is the one who created all things and owns all things, every time we damage something of his, then we are creating a debt that we owe him. When I was in high school, my high school was a closed campus, which meant that you had to ask for permission to go off campus. But when I was a senior, I kind of played willy-nilly with that rule. And I would go off campus sometimes to have lunch or to just mess around, right? And I was off campus one time, and uh, I ran right into the vice principal of my high school. And he had like a video camera with him because he was looking for people like me. (laughs) And he said to me, Coffee, get back to campus and go to my office. So I go to his office, sit down. He comes in and he says, "Uh, listen, you broke the rules, right? You know that, I know that. And there are consequences. And so I'm gonna give you your options for how you're gonna make this right, right? It's how to pay your debt. And, uh, but I was playing basketball at the time and it was in the middle of the season. And he said, Joe, you can be suspended, but of course you can't do that because of basketball. You can be uh, served detention for 10 days but you can't do that because of basketball practice. And I'm assuming you don't want either of those. So your third option is this. And he pulled out a paddle. Okay. Those, those were the days, right? <laughs> when a vice principal could hit you with a paddle. And I, as I leaned over and put my elbows on his desk, per his instructions, to wait for the paddle to hit, it crossed my mind that I way underestimated the consequences of being off campus, right? Listen, every single human being, including you, including me, we way underestimate our debt to God. 
we way underestimate our debt to God. Abraham didn't. Abraham understood when God said, Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love, and sacrifice to him. What he understood God to say is, I'm calling in your debt. That was not his problem. So if, if his problem was not that he had to sacrifice his son, what was Abraham's problem? His problem was the promise. Because he was saying, but God, you promised me that I would be a great nation, that, my, that I would have children, my children would have children, those children would have children to, to fill out like the stars of heaven. I didn't ask for that. It was a gift from you. It was pure grace. How is it now that you are going to fulfill justice and still uphold your promise and your grace to me. And that brings me to my third point, the proof of love. The proof of love. I think there are two proofs of love in this passage. And the first is that uh, God is proving his love for Abraham and Isaac. And when you read this story, it sounds like God is only concerned about how much Abraham loves him, loves God. But God is very concerned about Abraham and Isaac. And it goes back to the wheel, right? When, when we put anything other than God into the center of our lives, then it will do damage to us and to everyone else eventually, right? Uh, I grew up as an athlete. I have loved sports my whole life. I raised my children, my three children, to be athletes. And so I went to a lot of games when they were growing up. And I, I, was, I remember going to a game, a basketball game, when my son was a senior. They had a good team. Yeah, he was a good player. And uh, I went to the game. It was an away game. And it was a very intense game. It was a very physical game. And I found myself uh, yelling at the referees. And I wasn't, like, yelling encouragement. <laughs> good call. Way to go. Yeah. Right? So... Uh, after the game, uh, we lost, and even the way I phrased that is a tell. But I, I didn't say that my, my son's basketball team lost. I said, we lost. And I was standing uh, while the gym was emptying, waiting for my son to come out of the locker room, and I was just fuming. Right? And then the, the, the two referees that had refed the game came out of their locker room, and they walked right by me. And I followed them out into the parking lot. It sounds like the beginning of a Dateline episode, doesn't it? Yeah. I didn't say anything terrible to them, but I didn't say anything nice, right? And on my drive home, I remember thinking, you know, that's a Saturday. It was a Saturday night, I was, <laughs> and I was preaching the next day. I thought, how awkward will it be if one of those referees is in the service? What had happened? What was wrong with me? It's a basketball game. You know what was wrong? Something was getting a little too close to the hub. Remember I told you this is the key to growing as a Christian. And when God showed me that, I never yelled at a referee again. Listen, whenever you find yourself, if you are a follower of Jesus and you find yourself really angry, really anxious, really sad, I want you to be listening to Jesus calling you and saying, follow me. 
without condition, without question, put me back in the center because what has happened is something has been displaced in your heart. Right? You can't, it's easy to see what might have been happening with Abraham and Isaac, that Isaac was getting right into the hub. And if, if Isaac rested in the hub of Abraham's heart, it would not just destroy Abraham, it would have destroyed Isaac. And so God goes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to have to do something drastic to realign your heart. And this is true. When God is loving you, sometimes it will feel like he's killing you. But he's not. He's saving you. When God is loving you, sometimes it will feel like he's killing you, but he's not. He's saving you. That's one proof of love. But the second proof of love that I think comes from this passage is is it's hard to miss the poignancy of how many times God says, take your son, your only son whom you love. He says it in verse 2. He says it in verse 12. He says it in verse 16. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you you know the Bible very well. It's hard not to think of John 3.16 where Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So Abraham walks up to this area called Moriah, and he goes up a hill, and he's wondering to himself, how is God going to be both gracious and just? How is he calling in my debt, but also going to fulfill his promise? And he finds out, by God providing a substitutionary sacrifice, and he finds the ram caught in the thicket. And then Abraham names that hill, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. The land of Moriah in Abraham's day is now called Jerusalem in our day. And there's a hill outside of Jerusalem, and tradition has it that that hill that Abraham called the Lord will provide, we now call Golgotha. And when Abraham was walking up that hill with Isaac, he put the wood for the sacrifice on Isaac's back. 2,000 years later, Jesus would walk up that same hill with a cross on his. Listen, when Abraham says the Lord will provide and he names that place, he says it not just for himself, but for you and for me. And when God promises that all the families of the world will be blessed through Abraham, this is what he's talking about. You want to know where God's justice and God's grace come together? They come together at the cross. Listen, go back to that that lie in Genesis chapter 3 that has messed up your life and mine. That God doesn't really know what's best for you, doesn't really care what's best for you, doesn't really love you. How do you know if anyone really loves you? And the answer is by what they're willing to do for you. And here Jesus comes and he gives himself for you. Listen, if you are coming to Jesus for the very first time, or you are hearing Jesus call you to obey him without question in a way that you find it difficult to obey him, you can trust him.
He loves you. This is what Paul the Apostle says in Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The Lord will provide. He provided for you, his son Jesus. One story, one hero. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, uh, we come to you, and I am so, so grateful. I am grateful uh, for your call. For every person here, uh, you do to us what you did to Matthew. You look us in the eye and say, follow me. I pray if there are people here who have not yet responded to that call, I pray that they would. I pray that we, that we would all just be willing to, to take whatever is in the middle of our hearts and take it out and put you in and trust you. I pray for those who are struggling with obeying in one way or another. I pray that they will hear your call today. But more than anything, I pray, I, I am so thankful for how much you love us and how you have proven that love to us by your sacrifice for us. Even as we take communion, I pray that you will drive that even deeper inside of us. By your grace, by your power. We pray this in your name. Amen.